0: Today I want to talk with you about a message and I hope that before we leave this place today that it happens to each one of us, going from a nobody to a somebody and going from nowhere to somewhere. When I became a Christian back on August 16th of 1981, I stood there in the midst of a group of strangers called the church. I was a teenage boy coming from an unlikely home that could support Christianity. And as I stood there on that Thursday night and I told the pastor that I wanted to know faith in Christ and I wanted to give my heart to him, the odds of me standing there and that happening was slim to none based on the foundation or lack thereof that I had up to that point in my life as a teenager and a child. And as I stood there at the end of the service when the pastor said, come forward and and greet your new brother in Christ, Everybody surrounded me and loved on me and a very emotional time for me as for the first time in my life that I felt accepted and I belonged to something other than me. And I heard all sorts of kind words and expressions of love and care and I heard a lot of, of unctions coming from people to offer encouragement and as they did provided me strength and then all of a sudden i heard one woman's voice in my ear that says i love you and i quickly turned to see who it was and because of being surrounded in the group of people i couldn't identify where that phrase come from i walked into that church that day as a somebody and i left that church as a nobody now you're saying no that's not what you just said you said you went into the church as a nobody and you left as a somebody no i went into the church as a somebody and i left as a nobody there's a scripture in Psalm 139 verses 1 through 18 that gives us great indication that God knows everything there is to know about you and me. And there's nothing in my life that God doesn't know and it's not even a thought before I think it or a hair before I brush it that God doesn't already know. That God knows everything on the inward parts as he knows everything on the outside. And that every one of us in this place, I trust, will understand the importance of going from a somebody to a nobody. Now, your message title says the opposite, Pastor. But when you become a nobody, you will become a somebody. The scripture in John chapter 3 verse 30 says he must increase and I must decrease. And when you and I get to that point where we understand the decreasedness that must happen in our life and the increasedness that must happen in God's in our life in relation to God, then we'll realize the flip has just happened. Only by God's grace and by his might that you can poke your chest out and say, I am now a somebody. In Psalm 139, you'll understand a couple of things and you'll understand some answers to questions like, you know, when you add up all the moments of your life in the amount of time of your life, and you began to try to define and reflect upon those amounts and time, you'll realize that in that reflection, there are some times in your life it is great, and there are some times in your life that you do not want to repeat. You may feel sometimes like you're a rat in a cage turning a big wheel and just can't get anywhere. Life is a treadmill of some old, Same old, same old. You're working hard, but it doesn't feel like you're getting anywhere. You feel underappreciated, you feel overlooked, you're underpaid, and sometimes things are just unnecessary. It seems to me that most of us take the time to reflect more on our struggles than we do our successes, that we focus more on our weakness than we do our strength we focus more on the I and less on the he. And when we begin to focus more on who God is, we'll focus less upon the I. God has a word for us today in Psalm 139 to show us a different picture of our life, to give us a view from the top, to help us see the meaning of life from another perspective. And so this message is wrapped around four truths that grant to us purpose, that grant to us the the realization that God has an investment inside of us. Over the last several days, some of our investments have dwindled. Hang on, it'll come back. But we're talking about Beyond that type of investment, God has an investment in us. And so let me talk with you about four truths that give purpose. Number one is this. And you're going to say, this is not profound, but it is. God knows you. So I know that. Yes, you know that, and I know that, but there's still more to understand and know that God knows you in me when you and I understand that God knows all about us something happens in our connection in our thought process, in our heart of heart, in the crevice, in the being of who we are, that begins to reflect from the outside in and, and reflects all around us that God is real. And when you and I grab a hold of the fact that realness is definitely a monumental event of our life, we'll understand the necessity of where we've got to reduce ourselves to becoming a nobody in order to become a somebody. I can't become anyone else in my life but what God has already put before me. I can, I can accomplish many things. I can go to the highest of mountains. I can ride in the midst of the lowest of valleys. I can have all the acclaim, fame, fortune, poorness, hunger, or lack of. But it's not going to accomplish the somebodyness of my life. My identification and your identification goes back to one thing. God knows us. In knowing us, God does not leave us. The opening six verses of Psalm 139 reads as this, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit down and you know when I stand up. You know and you understand my thoughts from afar. You observe all my travels, you observe my rest, you are aware of all my ways. And before a word is on the tip of my tongue, you know it and you know all about it. Lord, you have encircled me, you have placed your hand upon me, this behind and before me, lay your hand upon me this extraordinary or extraordinary knowledge is beyond me it is lofty i am unable to obtain it reach it you know each of these words convey a different layer of god's knowledge of you and me combined they picture the god like that god is like a a detective searching for some things in our life, tracking every mundane activity, studying us even when we think we're alone. He dissects the inner world of the parts within us, discerning what makes us tick and talk, why we do what we do. He has penetrated the past, everything that we have done. He has a grasp on each of us. He knows precisely what we're going to say next and as if he's already uttered and performed acts before we even do it. So God knows your heart. He knows your fears. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives. He knows your dreams. He knows your frustration. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. He understands you and me. And in the understanding, he notices what goes on all around us. He knows what's inside us. He knows what gets to us. He gets you. He understands you. In fact, God has pegged you better than you can peg yourself. You think your motive for doing something is this, but God knows he's not fooled. He knows everything. And guess what? By knowing all that he knows, he still loves us. He still knows us. He still wants to be with us. It sounds unnerving. It sounds spooky. I got a stalker in my life. And it is a good stalker. And he loves us. And he loves us still. And when David says, God has laid his hand upon me, he's referring to an Old Testament practice as a a father bestows his blessing upon his child. And he lays his hand upon the top of the head and he lays claim upon that child and he places that child in a prominence of that family in the midst of that blessing and it's like he's passing on the rights to that child to become the adult of that family and it's the casting of that blessing and and david says you you laid your hand upon me god has casted his blessing upon each of us to rise up to the occasion in his service and his kingdom's work. He's granted us permission to bless him and to bless the people around us. But it cannot happen. There's no way it can happen. It will not happen until we get to the point to where we have decreased... And he has increased. Do we get to the point where we give up the ghost of our life and we say, I'm willing now to become a nobody? I'm willing now to become a nobody so that I can go from being a nobody to a somebody in your eyes and no one else matters. It means that when you fade off from this earth, someone will say, Benji who? It means that you must be willing to say, I don't need the pat on the back. I don't need people to know who I am. All I need them to know is I belong to an everlasting God, the creator of all earth, who's created the uniqueness of who I am, and he lives within me. In the same way, your heavenly Father knows you and bestows blessing on you, bore out his love, and marks your place in his family, not only for the present but on into the future. And in this family, nobodies become non-existent after they become a nobody, and then we become a somebody. God knows you. God pursues you, is the second truth. Not only that he knows you, but God pursues you. When David affirmed God's thorough knowledge of him, he concluded in verse 6 that this is beyond him. It's hard for him to grasp it. It's so lofty, I'm unable to reach it. What he means is, I just can't deal with this. It's too overwhelming. It's out of my mental capacity to grasp it. It's so refreshing to watch a group of men walk into a room so filled of pride as well as pretense and to watch the layers peel off like you peel off the layers of an onion. And when they get down to the core, they're just a bunch of bubbling, fubbling, crying babies before God as they become reduced down to nobody. And to watch them rise up and to stick their chest out and say, I am a somebody now because God knows me and God has been pursuing me and has brought me to this place to recognize the greatness of who he is. David's first instinct is the same instinct as ours. How can I escape? Where can I hide from the stalker? If he knows all that about me, and he knows, he knows that I'm a hypocrite at times, he knows that I am joyful at times, he knows that I have goodness within me, he knows that I am a righteous person as well as an unrighteous person. He knows all the lies in my life, he knows all the goodness of my life. And he says in verse seven through twelve, "Where can I go to escape this stalker, the spirit?" <laughs> Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I live on the eastern horizon or settle on the western limits, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold on to me. And if I say surely darkness will hide me and the light around me, will become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day, like you. Light are like you. You can't go. You can't run. You can't hide. David says in verse 10, he says, if I could ride the sun's rays, and if I could fly at blinding speeds to some remote part of the world and if i could go under the radar as fast as i can at the beyond the speed of sound if i go to the farthest depth of the ocean where there's the lack of oxygen your hand will lead me your hand will guide me your right hand will hold on to me and give me security what does this mean you And I are wanted by God. God wants us. I often saw it from the picture that I want God. But in that pursuit, in that pursuit, it's the realization that God wants me. And that's all we need. When you get to that point, you realize, I am a nobody. So I can become a somebody. That pursuit is where we all need to be. And when you and I get to that point of a nobody, that's when we know we are somebody. We are the gods. The security and his hand of guidance is on us. The truth is, God knows you. God knows me. God pursues you, and God pursues me. God has chosen us. He says, dearly beloved, dear, dear children, you are loved. We're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when you feel the crushing weight of loneliness at times in our lives and wonder and wonder if if you and I would be missed if we're gone, remember this. God has a special place for every person. Special place, not necessarily designed on earth or in heaven. There's a special place in his heart. Marianne Bird writes that when she was growing up, she knew she was different. She said, "I hated it. I was born with a, a cleft plate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear that I was different. And so the normal questions happened. You know, how, how did this happen to you? And so through her life as a child on into, um, you know, getting into that middle school years, she always found it easier to say that she had a mishap or she had an accident. It was better to let people think I was not born with this, that I had an accident that caused it. It seemed to make her feel as if it was better or it was Okay. And she said, somehow it seemed, you know, in that acceptability that maybe people could love her if it was an accident instead of her being born different. She said, I had a teacher that was a special teacher. Her name was Mrs. Leonard. And during the time that Ann Bird was in school, and some of you may remember, we used to have those hearing tests. And, you know, you go, yeah and her test they would pull the child away from the others to the corner of the room and they would give him the hearing test and mrs leonard gave the test to everyone in the class and finally she says it was my turn i knew from the past years that we stood where we stood and we would listened what we would listen to and this time the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper from a distance. And if you close your eyes and could hear that whisper, then you could identify, she could identify your hearing is okay. So here was Ann Bird that had the cliff plate, the one born different. And she said, and I heard the words that that was resilient that came all the way to my heart that day, and she said, Ann, if you hear what I say, I want you to repeat it back. You know, she'd say things to the other kids, the sky's blue, your shoes are new, and they would repeat those things. But when it came to Ann, she said, I wish you were my little girl. Oh, how he loves you and me. He has pledged us to become people of faith. He believes in you. He believes in me. He pursues us to never be separated again from him. God knows you and God wants you. And number three, God made you. As you continue to read in Psalm 139, it says in verse 13 and following, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this all so well. My bones were not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. Pay attention. It was God who knit you together in your mother's womb. A picture of the intricate attention to detail, the seamless creation of like a garment is put together one thread at a time. And notice in verse 13, David writes, I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. The adverbs of this sentence make plain that after God made you, he threw away the mold. You are totally unique. You are a one of a kind just like God is a a one-of-a-kind. And he has fashioned us with the all-inspiring skill to desire the Almighty and to come to the point in our life that we recognize in the creation and the maidenness of who we are that we are to be in in the company of a heavenly Father who penetrates the being of that which he created so that you and I come to the point in our life that we raise our hands and we say, Father, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter if I'm known. It doesn't matter if I'm remembered. It doesn't matter what I accomplish. It doesn't matter what plane I'm on. It doesn't matter if I ride the mountain. It doesn't matter if I'm in the valley. All that matters, God, that I become a a nobody so that I can stand in your presence and know that I am a somebody. I believe belong to the king of kings. I belong to the master. I am now a somebody because of my identification with you as almighty God. Amen. That's what he wants. God don't make no junk. The old spiritual preacher used to say, you realize the most powerful computer in the world up to 2006, was a computer that was in the National Laboratory in California, in Lawrence Livermore. It can perform 280 trillion calculations a second. But after 2006, they began to try to create a faster, more powerful computer, and it arrived after the fall of 2006, took two years to put together, and in 2008, compiled this computer to the size of a hockey ring that consumes more power as many small towns. Fast computer that now can go beyond what the... Most powerful computer ever did to process a quadrillion calculations a second. You say that's powerful. God has wonderfully and remarkably made you. It is determined that the human mind can process 10 quadrillion operations, calculations in one second your mind has power not because of who you are but because of the one who created you and remarkably and wonderfully has made you God has done some fancy knitting he not only stalks us he's becoming our seamstress and he has put us together if you don't like what you see in the mirror Take the, don't take the cues from the carnal world. Take your cues from the heavenly papa. The incredible artist has made you. There is no one in history like you, and there's no one ever going to repeat you. You might influence others, and others may try to imitate you, but they'll never be you. Your personality... Your abilities, your spiritual gifts, your particular purpose sets you apart and unique beyond anyone else. You are his treasured creation made in his likeness. God knows you, God wants you, and God made you. And number four, and the fourth truth is this, that God has plans for you. And yet, in verse 16 through 18, Paul—I mean, David says, all my days were written in your book, planned before a single one of them began. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend how vast the sum of them all. David says that the script of your life is already written by God. And the Lord has carefully, carefully, so beautifully mapped out every detail to fill your days, ordaining your days. You said, oh, wait a minute, Pastor. You mean I'm only a a puppet on the string? No. He has mapped out the perfection of your life, and then he allows us to choose, are we going to go down that ordained path? When we go down that ordained path, this is where it gets exciting, is that's when you and I come to the point and you say, ah, That's where I need to be. That's where I am. I am now a nobody to become the somebody. That's where we've become the decreased person so that he has increased in our life. God doesn't just set the plan in motion and look the other way. He has thoughts of you and me constantly. Now we got one who never sleeps. He's not only stalking us, but he's awake all the time. He not only has become the centrist, intricately making who we are, he's a God who's continuing to patent us, the one of a kind. He's got the patent, and no one else has it. And he's still working with his creation. His thoughts are constantly... Of me. He greets you and me as fresh as the morning is with mercy. He gives us new opportunities, ready to go through the hours with us, ready to share in our company. And He has specific plans that we're not alone and never will be. He knows you, He pursues you, He made you. He has plans for you each and every day. Will you allow yourself to hear his still, small voice? Will you allow yourself to listen to him? This is a $100 bill. All right. That'll buy me a good dinner. Crisp as it is. If I offered it to you, you'd take it, I'm sure. But if I ball this thing up and throw it on the ground, and then I stomp on it, and I offered it to you, would you still take it? Why is that? Because it still has the same value, whether it's straight and crisp or wrinkled or stepped on. It still has value. Sometimes we may feel crisp and we feel fresh. Sometimes we feel as if our world is caved in and we're all crinkled up. Sometimes we feel useless and stepped on. Just know this. You matter to God. Even if your parents never taught you that. Even if the people in your life never resound in your ear that truth. Even if your spouse has rejected you, verbally abused you, emotionally, it's slapped you, and physically has done things to you. Don't let what another human being define who you are. You are not set on the course to become a somebody. You are set on this course with God to become a nobody. And later, you will become a somebody. Don't draw conclusions about yourself based on anything else. Look higher, because you matter to God so much that He sent His Son to define that moment in time, to seal that agreement and covenant with His blood. You belong to God. You are treasured, and you are forever his. Come to the Father. Lay your cares, lay your life, lay yourself, lay your pride at the altar. And watch God increase as you decrease. When you reduce yourself down to the nobodiness, you will understand the somebody from here on out. So, yes, I want you to go from a nobody to a somebody. And I want you to go from nowhere to somewhere. Will you make that choice today? Thank you, God, for challenging us in heart and mind and soul, in spirit. Thank you for being... God. Thank you for revealing your everlasting character. Thank you for being our creator. Thank you for being our master, our guide, our strength, and thank you for being our friend, holding our hand, and walking the distance wherever we go. Thank you, Father, for giving us a sense of belonging, and thank you for being the God who cares for every detail of our life thank you father for allowing us to come to a point of surrender and thank you for allowing us to be humble in your presence to realize the power and the strength lies in you and no longer in i in your name we pray amen